All right, I'll start us in prayer. Dear God, we just uh, thank you. You are great. You are awesome, Lord. Lord, and your word is a reflection of who you are. And we cherish it, Father. We thank you for so many things. Uh, we thank you for the bit of rain we got last night and how you provided it, Lord. We thank you that you're providing uh, in this book and we're able to see you working sovereignly as you go forth. We thank you for this book, Lord. I pray you bless this lesson and uh, bless the, uh, the ears that hear, Lord. In your holy son's name, amen. We are in the book of Ruth. We've, we're in chapter 2, but I think I'll just recap a little bit so that we're all up to date. So we saw in chapter 1 a Jewish family go down to Moab, and there uh, death occurred. Uh, and uh, two, the two sons married uh, Moabite women, but all the men have died, and we were left with three widows. Now, of the six people in chapter 1, only two of them make it into chapter 2 for us, two widows, uh, Ruth the Moabitess and uh, Naomi, the mother-in-law. But we see a little glimmer of hope as they're coming in between chapter 1 and chapter 2 because we're told it's the beginning of the barley season. So that's something. Now, as they come into chapter 2, uh, Ruth and Naomi have really nothing but each other. And, uh, but they, what they do have is two major needs. They need food and they need a family. They need a family in the sense of security and protection of marriage. They need a family in a sense of uh, extending the, the family name, Elimelech and Malon's family name. So they're in need when they come in. And we find Ruth uh, asking Naomi, can she please go and glean? She studied the law. She knows that God has a welfare system that provides for the poor, the, the uh, uh, widow, the orphan, the foreigner. And so it is that she goes to find a place to glean. Just so happens she comes into the field of Boaz, who we're told in the very first verse of chapter 2 is a kinsman. He's a, rel a relative of the family of Elimelech. She comes to that field, and there she asks the foreman if she can glean there. He allows it. Later in the morning, uh, Boaz uh, turns up to his field, and he immediately notices Ruth. Uh, he asks the foreman, who is this? And he's told, well, uh, this is that Moabite uh, woman who came with Naomi. And so Boaz automatically kind of knows her story already because there had been some talk in Bethlehem about her. And, uh, and also he's told that she's uh, been working all morning, that she's just stopped to rest for a little bit. And so Boaz walks over to her kind of out of the blue and you have then this uh, man of wealth, this man of valor going over and talking to the, to the lowly gleaner and he tells her, he gives her a blessing really. He, he says four things to her. He says, don't go anywhere else. He says, stay in this field and glean and also just follow my maids where they go. And when you get thirsty, go, go to the water and whatever my male servants have drawn, you may have of it. She's blessed. And this is not what she was told to expect 
she was, she's supposed to have nothing but hardship. She's to be ostracized. She's an outcast. No one's going to marry her. I mean, this is all her expectations, and suddenly this man blesses her in, in, in this way. And uh, she falls on her face and asks him why. Boaz then tells her that, you know, I've heard about you already, what you did. You left your, you left your family. You left your land. You uh, committed yourself to Naomi, and you committed yourself to the God of Israel. And then he, plays a, he prays a blessing over her uh, for rewards, repayment. And, and a blessing because she has sought refuge under the wings of the Lord God of Israel. And so uh, she goes back to work. And uh, then, about lunchtime, he calls her over. He wants her to come eat at the table of honor with him and his servants, his maids. And uh, he even serves her. And they're eating, you know, the delicacy of the day, the, the roasted grain. She eats to her fill. And then she's ready to go back to work. So we pick it up right there in Ruth chapter 2, verse 15. And I want you to see, as we're starting here, that Ruth, she's not someone who lingers. And she's a self-starter. And she uh, will not take grace uh, for granted. Okay? Ruth chapter 2, verse 15 and 16 says... This is after she eat. When she rose to glean, Boaz commanded his servant, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not insult her. Also you shall purposely pull out for her some grain from the bundles, and leave it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. You know, she just sat at the table with the, uh, the Lord of, the, of that harvest field, right? She's... Uh, a lot of people might let that go to their head and become private about something like that. You know, he's told her that she can stay in his field as long as she wants. And, you know, some people might say, well, you know, it's hot out there. I'm going to wait till it gets a little cooler before I go out. Not Ruth. This is not her character. She gets up immediately and goes to work. And I want to just say that uh, what she does is the proper response for grace when grace is extended. There's a risk of taking God's grace in vain. Uh, but she's acting upon this grace and uh, th that has been extended to her. You know, uh, Paul writes the entire sixth chapter of Romans is, is all about this, not taking God's grace for granted, not taking God's grace in, grain, in vain. excuse me. And uh, in 2 Corinthians 6.1, we see that actual term. And working together with him, he's speaking to the Corinthians, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. You know, there's a, there's a risk of living our lives in a way that, uh, that nullifies the grace that we've been given. But this is not Ruth's reaction. She gets up, goes out, and gleans, and her, her efforts are even greater from this point forward. Next, we see that Boaz has instructed his, his reapers to allow Ruth to glean even up up among the, uh, the sheaves. I mean, she's going to be right up next to the, to the reapers now, not the gleaners. She's right up in the front row. And they are to purposely pull out grain for her. Purposely pull out grain. You know, the King James translation uh, has a beautiful phrase for that. He call, they call it handfuls of purpose. Handfuls of purpose. And that's just a beautiful picture, and it's almost poetic, just the phrase. There's several books. I counted... I went on Amazon, I found three books by that name, Handfuls of Purpose, and they're all devotionals uh, regarding uh, the book of Ruth. 
And so it is, Boaz then is giving Ruth two major things. He's giving her protection and he's giving her provision. He's protecting her from both verbal and physical abuse while she's out gleaning. And he's also providing for her grain, her food needs. Now remember the law, the law, the Mosaic law that we uh, read in Leviticus only, uh, excuse me, in Deuteronomy, only uh, made mention of gleaning in the corners of the field, remember? And then also uh, whatever had been left after the first past of the, of the reapers. But what Ruth is experiencing here is not the law. It's no longer the law. You see that. It's, it's beyond the law. And we're now into grace. And, you know, the thing about grace is that it always comes in abundance, doesn't it? Always comes in abundance. We can never outdo God, can we? Let's pick up uh, verse 17, chapter 2, verse 17. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. Ruth has worked this entire day, sun up, until the sun going down. And then, then she has to thresh and winnow out what she has reaped. All she's got is, you know, barley on stalks right now. She's got to take that and get the grain off of it, all right? And so that's very hard work. She starts when the gleaning is over. I don't know how long it took her, but she threshed out uh, from all the estimates that I can see, and they vary, somewhere between 30 and 50 pounds of edible grain. 30 and 50 pounds of edible grain, which she now carries back to where she and Naomi are staying. You know, we've seen that she's a humble woman, right? But let me tell you something. She is not helpless. She is not helpless. Um, this is just an incredible day's work for a widow to do. And so it is. We'll, we'll move on now to verses 18, 19. Uh, before, we, before we go forward, though, let me just say something, that we as the readers have a little bit of an advantage here over Ruth and Naomi because we have the full body of knowledge of what they're going to discover as they begin to talk. Right now, uh, Ruth knows where she's been gleaning in the, in the field of, of Boaz. And, uh, but she doesn't know who Boaz is, right? And Naomi knows who, who Boaz is. She knows the significance of that. But she doesn't know where Ruth has been gleaning. And so it is, the drama and the anticipation are just starting to build. You know, I'm really glad that we weren't given the author's name of this book because, you know, it, for me, it's just the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, you know, he, this is Him writing all of this. No, no intermediary uh, in my mind. So let me read the next two verses. So she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also took it out and gave to Naomi what she had left after she was satisfied. Her mother-in-law then said to her, Where did you glean today, and where did you work? Maybe may he who took notice of you be blessed. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. Very last word, Boaz. Love it. Um, can you just imagine this picture of Ruth coming up the, up the way with this sack full of grain? You know, Naomi was wondering if they would even, if Naomi was wondering if Ruth would make it back, and if she did, would they have anything to, you know, to, to snack on that night? And she comes back with this. Also, can you imagine the look? <laughs> on Naomi's faith when, face when Ruth tells her that the man's field is Boaz. Now she's got all the information, right? 
You know, the last time we saw Naomi at the end of chapter 1, what was her condition at that time? She was pretty down. She wanted to change her name from pleasant to bitter, right? And the, but the truth is that even when she was in the depths of her sorrow and her suffering, God has been, you know, just orchestrating for her satisfaction. She doesn't know it, but He's been doing this. Um, maybe now she'd like to change her name to Giddy. When she, when she reads, when, when she reads the, or when she says the, this sentence, she, do you see that she says the same question twice? Um, she's fumbling over her words. She's just blown away. Uh, and not to mention that, they have enough food now, uh, figuratively, uh, figuring on how much that, uh, how far 30 pounds will go. She's got probably seven to, days to two weeks for those two ladies. And then she pulls her doggy bag out of her back pocket, right? And gives it to her so she has something to eat that night from the, from the roasted grain she had for lunch. And the very best news is the one responsible for this is their kinsman, their relative, Boaz. Okay, verse 20. Now Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. Again, Naomi said to her, the man is our relative, not just our relative. He is one of our closest relatives, and that is the word Goel, the kinsman redeemer. So now we see both these women have all the information, right, where she's been and who he is uh, because they've shared. Now, I think Naomi is kind of stunned here. Uh, her previous prayer kind of it changes from what had been basically a general or generic prayer uh, to a very specific prayer. Now she's praying over Boaz himself because of his kindness and his his has said. Let's say now you know when I'm reading the the blessing there, may he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. Who's she, who's she talking about there? The Lord, the Lord, and Boaz. But I think the Lord too. It's you know it's not really uh, completely clear, but I believe the Lord, and so. What is Naomi seeing? You know, we've seen her talking about the Lord afflicting her, putting her under, you know, troubles and all this. And, I'm, you know, aren't you seeing this change now that's beginning in her attitude toward God? And she never doubted His sovereignty, right? We've never seen her doubt that. But I think her, uh, she's warming up uh, to what's, what He's been doing. All right. Uh, so in that blessing, then the living would be Ruth and Naomi. The dead would be the family of Elimelech. That would, I mean, by that is heritage or his family name going forward. So, in Naomi, so we see then that Naomi immediately perceives the significance of what's going on right now. She didn't know what's going to go down, but she knows what's going on. So for the first time, we do see that word kinsman, redeemer. And I believe that the wheels then in her mind are really starting to spin. To spin. Uh, you know, when they came in from chapter 1 to chapter 2, there was this little glimmer of hope because the barley harvest was, was up. I think that, that if it was a flame, I think the gas is going up a little bit here, right? And that, and that flame is becoming a little bigger, uh, that flame of hope. Okay. Ruth, uh, chapter 2, verses 21 and 22. Then Ruth the Moabitess said... Furthermore, he said to me, 
you should stay close to my servants until they have finished all my harvest. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his maids, so that others do not fall upon you in another field. All right. So there's even more good news. Now, Boaz has said she should stay with his maids and glean all through both the barley and this means the wheat uh, harvest as well. So then of those two major needs that they began chapter 2 with, food and family, they can check food off the list uh, because they've been provided for, you know, for the next two to three months likely. If Ruth gleans the way anywhere close to what she's been doing, they should have enough food uh, to last them through the end of the year. And that's all because their their experience is God's provision and it's coming through the kindness of Boaz. And then we see Naomi quickly endorses this idea. Yeah, stay in his field. Don't go elsewhere. You'll get hurt. I mean, oh yeah, she thinks it's a good idea, right? And so it is. Now we're going to come to the last verse of the chapter. And I just would like us to have a couple of thoughts in our head. Keep them, kind of keep them before us. We're looking at, you know, I told you that the word love only occurs once in this chapter. The main word for love here is kindness. And it's from that Jewish word, hesed. And it's God's love. It's godly love. You might call it agape in, in Greek, but it's, it's, uh, the, the Hebrew is uh, that covenantal loyalty love. It's got sacrifice, grace, and just uh, you know, covenant all, all over it. And keep these two uh, points in your mind as we go forward, that love, love is patient. Love is patient. And also, love is pure. That's what we need to see as we go forward. Now, I do love the way I think the Holy Spirit is masterful in how he's writing this book. But we'll see in the, in the last uh, verse of chapter 2 because he kind of takes us up to the edge, puts us on the edge of our seat, and then kind of just goes away. So listen. So this is speaking of Ruth. So she stayed close by the maids of Boaz in order to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. It's like... To be continued, you know? We have a whole, kind of, a whole lot of questions, don't we? What's going to happen? You know, wh- where's this going? What's Boaz going to do? Is he going to make a move? I mean, all this stuff. You know, they're perfect for each other. We see that, but come on. You know, we don't want to wait, but we have to. But we don't have to because we're here today and we're going to go on right into chapter 3. <laughs> yes. Right. Now that is something that we're going to really look at close if we get that far today because we got some issues to address. But uh, that is very important. She, he knows, he's convinced of her salvation already. She has trusted the Lord. She has stated as much. And her behavior is she's approaching in grace, remember? She's saved. And so we want to keep that in mind as we go forward. Uh, all right. Then let's do Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now is not Boaz our kinsman with whose maids you were? 
Behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, a couple of months have gone by. The harvest of the barley and the wheat have been completed. And we get the idea that not a whole lot has happened, you know, especially with regard to Boaz making any sort of a romantic move toward Ruth. But I'll just say we shouldn't assume that he hasn't been contemplating, thinking about a future with her. But we need to remember this. Boaz, he is a very honorable gentleman. And remember, there's quite an age difference between these two. Don't let that escape us. Quite an age difference. Probably at least 20 years, I suspect. But Naomi <laughs> is growing impatient. And uh, she's anxious with this situation. She's decided on doing something. And maybe it's a drastic plan going forward. But she's got a plan. Her statement to Ruth is basically this. I've been thinking about it, and you need security. You need rest. You need to get married. And the one you need to marry is our relative, the one who's shown us so much kindness. Uh, you need to marry Boaz. So let's just pause here just a minute before we gloss over what it is that Naomi is saying and doing. And let's really consider her position for just a second. She's not just another dominant mother-in-law. Of these two, widow, of these two widows, let's ask this. Uh, who is it that would have the first claim in the line of Elimelech to be redeemed? Whose property needs to be redeemed? Who is it that is closest in age to Boaz? Who is it that had previously has a track record of bearing sons? And finally, judging by Naomi's plan, who is it that is actually learning to truly love Ruth and appreciate her for all she is? And that is in the full definition. I think that Naomi right here She's got a claim, and she relinquish, she's relinquishing her claim to be redeemed. And I think that she has Ruth's best interests in mind at this point. This is love. This is Hesed. Jack, wouldn't you also say, though, that um, Ruth was showing that same kind of love? And I think that's part of why it says, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Because she was being faithful to her, her claim of faith in God and Absolutely. Even though she's doing all the work for gathering the food, she is still sharing and, and being faithful on her part as well. So I think it's that mutual love and respect. Mutual. There, and this is the, that is so true of the entire book. This, this has said, it's a godly, it starts with God. But listen, it comes down into his people and it spreads out and it spreads among his people. This book is covered with that. I totally agree with what you said. Ruth is, is doing the same. And so is Boaz, right? Uh, so it is that, you know, Naomi is now counseling Ruth uh, to proceed uh, both with the, uh, the Mosaic law pertaining to the Redeemer, which is in Leviticus 25, and to the Leveret law, uh, that brother-in-law marriage uh, that's found. You know, I, read, I, I showed you part of this in the first lesson, I think, but we're going to look at the whole passage today because there's, there's a whole other nuance that's attached to it. So let me just read uh, Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 and 6. When brothers live together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the deceased shall not be married outside the family to a strange man. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her to himself as wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. 
It shall be that the firstborn whom she bears shall, shall assume the name of his dead brother, so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. This is God's method of keeping, uh, you know, the parcels of land in the individual families and clans. And so this is in, this is in the law uh, 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 given, but it goes on. And let's read what else. <clears throat> but <clears throat> if the man does not desire to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate to the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to establish a name for his brother in Israel. He's not willing to perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of his city shall summon him and speak to him. And if he persists and says, I do not desire to take her, then his brother's wife, oh boy, shall come up to him in the sight of the elders and pull off his sandal and spit in his face. And she, she shall declare, thus it is done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. In Israel, his name shall be called the house of him whose sandal is removed. So that's a disgrace. This is not something you want to have happen in the public square. But now we have Naomi and we have Ruth's case here to consider. And in, in fact, there are no living brothers-in-law uh, to, to redeem her by this law. And in that case, uh, the uh, responsibility may be extended to uh, the nearest kinsman. However, the act of doing so, or that is taking uh, the widow in marriage, uh, changes a bit from the obligatory of a, that it would be for a brother to more of an optional status for a nearer kinsman that's not a brother. Uh, but here's the catch. It's also sort of up to the widow to let the eligible man, the eligible relative, know that she's available. Now I'm going to see how old, how old everybody is in here. Who has heard of Sadie Hawkins Day? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sadie Hawkins Day. Uh, who doesn't know what Sadie Hawkins Day is? Okay, I'll tell you. So Sadie Hawkins Day, this comes from a little Abner cartoon. Long, long ago when there was a Sunday paper with, with, the, with the cartoons in it, right? Sadie Hawkins was a gal who was after, uh, I think she was after Lil Abner, and she came up with a way. Who? Lil Abner. Lil Abner. Okay, well, you'll correct me. Uh, and so she, she came up with a way. She basically, it's a girls ask the boys out thing. or a girl. So a lot of y'all in high school may have had Sadie Hawkins yep. Day High School, where the, and it, it was the women asked the men out. So that's where we are, when it's still here. It's the woman's choice. So she's kind of in control from that standpoint. Also, uh, in, in verse 2 uh, of chapter 3 of Ruth that we just read, we understand that the harvested barley needs to be winnowed. That means to be separated from the chaff. Now, the, the threshing floor mentioned here uh, was a shared community facility. It was a gathering place, let's say. And it was a flat, firmly packed, hard surface, and it would be located higher up on the side of a hill. And the reason for that is so that when they tossed the holes in the grains up into the air with the winnowing forks, the wind would catch the chaff and blow it away, and then the grain, being heavier, would come back and land onto the floor. Yes? yes. Of course, there's a threshing sledge that goes over there to crush the grain. Right. Right. That's the first thing they do when they gather it in. They'll have to crush it. Sometimes an oxen will pull some sort of a stone or they'll take, uh, beat it out with some other instrument. That's what Ruth had to do the first night when she cleaned. Thresh it first and then winnow it. So all of this is ready, ready for winnowing. Uh, and so this would be, you know, a, a festive event, a festive time. Uh, 
because as each land, so there was like this community threshing floor, as each landowner's turn comes up, then they will go in, they bring their crew, and then the people come and join, and everybody helps out, and then they have a, they're having a feast, and they'll be eating, and they'll have wine, and they work till late in the night until, you know, they finish or the wind gives out. And then they've got this big pile of grain there, and, and they usually kind of sleep out around it to protect it. Usually the men sleep with their head toward the grain and their feet facing outward. And so that's what uh, is going to be going on here. Now, uh, Ruth, let's pick it up in uh, verse 3 uh, through verse 5. And this is what Ruth says next. Wash yourself, she'd be, she's speaking to, excuse me, Naomi speaking to Ruth. Naomi says, wash yourself, therefore, and anoint yourself and put on your best clothes and, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. It shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will tell you what you shall do. She said to her, all that you say, I will do. So, we may not be aware of some things here, but if you were an Israelite when this book was written, reading this passage, you might be mopping the sweat off your brow right now. And the reason for that is because of the words used uh, in the instructions, uncover, feet or legs, and lie down. And in the Hebrew, those, those words are sexually charged. They could easily imply something questionable, which is not at all what is going on here. But it could be misconstrued. Now to add to that, you need to consider uh, that this entire chapter takes place from dusk until dawn. It's under the cover of night. The entire chapter. So before we get ahead of ourselves, though, let me just say this, uh, going back to verse 3. Did you see Naomi told Ruth to wash herself, that is to bathe, to anoint herself with oil, perfume, and to put on her best clothes? Now, when I read those three uh, instructions, I got a strange parallel picture to another scripture in the Old Testament uh, that it made me think of. Does anybody have any clue where I'm going with that? King David and uh, 2 Samuel, uh, right after the death of his child Bathsheba. I remember those same, those same things came about. Let me read it for you. It's 2 Samuel verses 12, uh, excuse me, 2 Samuel 12 verse 20 says, So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, and changed his clothes. And he came into the house of the Lord, that is the tabernacle, and he worshipped. Then he came to his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him, and he ate. So what was it that caused King David to so abruptly change? He had been fasting before this. He had been praying passionately before God to spare the life of this child. And then he goes and does this. His servants even ask him, hey, what's up? And uh, his response is basically that there was nothing more to do. That uh, it was out of his times, and basically it was time to move on. Time to move on. And I think in a similar fashion, this is part of what Naomi's telling Ruth here. You know, in that culture, a widow was in mourning, was to be in mourning for an appropriate amount of time. And when they got there, I mean, she's a widow. Ruth is a widow, and her mourning could also be seen in her cho choice of clothing, too. That culture would let you know. You know, don't, don't bother this woman. And Naomi's telling Ruth, hey, you're eligible for marriage now. 
Fix yourself up. It's time to move on with your life and your future. You need to have rest. You need to have security that marriage provides. And so, Naomi has come up with this plan to make it known that Ruth was available for marriage. Naomi knew that Boaz would be at the threshing floor that night. Ruth listened closely, and she agrees to do all that Naomi says. You know, on the surface, this sounds very risky. I bet it did to her. But I believe that both of these women, are, are they're trusting in the Lord. They're learning to trust the Lord like never before, and I think they're putting their faith on the line here, trusting in His sovereign provision. When Naomi tells Ruth in verse 4, listen to this, that word notice, did you see that? Notice where he goes. She literally meant, know for certain, be sure. Don't pull up the wrong cover off the wrong legs, okay? <laughs> There's no margin for error here. Okay, so the I get the suspense starting to build in this story. It's just, I love it. Uh, let's go then, verses 6 and 7, chapter 3 of Ruth. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law had commanded her. When Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap. And she came secretly and uncovered his feet and lay down. I do not mean to apply that he's drunk. He's not drunk. He's had some wine and he's in a good mood. He's got his harvest going. And you've got to admit, though, that the, the suspense is just starting to really build here. Can you even imagine this scene? Ruth hiding from being noticed, watching Boaz every move. And as luck would have it, he just happened to go to the end of the heap, which is kind of a more secluded place. Praise the Lord. Do uh, you think Ruth could hear her heart pounding in her ears? I know mine would be. <laughs> Let me say this. In chapter 3, we basically got three characters that are speaking, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. These are the only three that have dialogue in, in chapter 3. How many of them do you think are going to sleep tonight? Think about that for a minute. I would say probably just one, and he's only going to sleep half the night. All right? So what might, th what might Ruth's thoughts be while she's laying there at his feet? She's waited until he's asleep. She snuck in. She could be rejected. That would be terrible, wouldn't it? If you got up and rebuked her, who are you? Do you know, I mean, this is disrespectful. You know, you know she has, she's built up a reputation. We've already heard and we'll see further. By not being this, you know, that kind of a person, by not chasing after man, she could. Evidently, she's beautiful. Yes? True. He is. I, I believe he's close to 52, if not older. even older. Uh, and we ha that's another question. Why isn't he married? We might talk about that. Um, but would he be her redeemer? That's what I think she's praying for. <laughs> and really hers and Naomi's, right? So here we go. Next, Ruth lays it all on the line by faith. She's trusting in the Lord. Let's read uh, Ruth uh, chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Okay, it happened then in the middle of the night that the man was startled and he bent forward and behold, a woman was lying at his feet and he said, who are you? And she answered, I'm Ruth, your maid. So spread your covering over your maid for you are a close relative. 
Ruth, sir? Marry me. Marry me. <laughs> Absolutely. So I don't think she slept a week. She's laying there on pins and needles. Then he wakes up suddenly. Probably his feet got cold, you know, with the wind blowing over him. And he gets up and looks. You know, it's dark. He can't see. He, he, he thinks he sees a woman there at his feet. Who are you? Wouldn't you love to have heard the intonation in his voice? Who are you? <laughs> I mean, what? Uh, I, would, I, would, I would. But uh, And then she says, I'm Ruth. I'm your maid. Now, she's called herself his maid servant back in chapter uh, 2 when she was wondering why he was blessing her so much. But that word uh, basically meant slave. This is a different word in the Hebrew here, and it's a little more personal and denotes some, a, a, a relationship so that he knows her, she knows him. Now, what happens next is that uh, Ruth departs from Naomi's instructions. Right, didn't, didn't Naomi say, go do this, wait there, and he'll tell you what to do, right? Well, I mean, I can see her identifying herself, but instead of waiting, she keeps talking. Spread your covering over your maid. Spread your covering. This is that, this is that corner of your shawl. This is that wing of, of protection. This is, you know, protect me, she's saying. She's saying, care for me like I belong to you. Uh, for you are a kinsman, a redeemer. You know, in that statement, she's, put, she's really put forth two questions to Boaz. First, will you marry me? And second, will you redeem us? Both Ruth and Naomi. Mm. So how will, Ro- how will Boaz respond? I mean, the suspense continues to mount, right? Let's go. I've got to see. Then he said, May you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than your first by not going after young men, whether rich or poor. Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask, for all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. Okay. Major sigh of relief from Ruth, right? Uh, and we see something here. Boaz, had, Boaz has desired to be Ruth's redeemer from the very start. But his, his hands have essentially been tied because she needed to make her choice known. She needed to make her choice known. Um, and I believe that she's answered his prayer in her statement. He wanted to be those wings. Back when he prayed a blessing over in chapter 2. He, God's using him to answer his own prayer. And uh, so she claims him. She's claiming Boaz. And this makes the way free and clear for him uh, to move. And he will do so swiftly, just like his name uh, that we've seen already. And view, uh, Boaz is viewing Ruth's choice of him over that of younger men as being an even greater kindness, that word has said again, even greater than when she made her commitment to Naomi back in, the chap- in chapter 1, 16 and 17. What do you all think about that? How is it even greater? Sorry, ask that question again. How is this kindness that she's showing here even greater than the kindness she showed to Ruth in chapter 1 in her commitment to, tr- to leave Moab, come with her, and, and receive her God, her God as uh, her God? 
All right. There is a kindness to Boaz in that she's chosen him when she probably had the pick of a field. Yes. I agree. So this is this is really has said from Ruth back back to Naomi, right? She's made a choice here, and her choice. Remember, she's made life choices, momentous decisions, but she's chosen. In this choice, she is doing what is best for the family of Elimelech. She's do, she's going to restore Naomi's position back to her in this choice of a male. Yes, Jeff. But even more than that. I think it's her love for the Lord that's that's causing her to do these things. She recognized in Moab there's something different that that these people have. They have a, a hope that I don't have, and so she she has from that moment it seems like made this her her direction of and, and seems to be understanding the law and and like I'm I'm gonna do the things I'm gonna attempt to be, you know, a good Israelite, so to speak, right. but, you know, to, to follow the law because that's who the Lord is. Absolutely. That's real, very well said. Uh, I think even if, she, yes. even if she wasn't looking at it from a godly standpoint, she's smart because a young man is not going to have the security and the ability to care for her like this man is, and she recognizes this is a good deal. So she, has, she, is, she is intelligent, and uh, you know what? God calls us to use our intelligence, does he not? Uh, but she's, she is functioning under this Hesed love that has come out and is spreading uh, to her. And I, I, you know, we're, she's been patient, right? This has been weeks and weeks. Nothing going on. I mean, it's like I, me, I'm like, come on, let's go. And uh, well, I can't wait. But she has been patient. Boaz has been patient. Naomi says, "Enough patience. Move on. Let's move." Which we need. We need uh, Naomi's uh, every now and then, don't we? Um, yeah, I think that I think that Boaz is is uh, flattered that she has chosen him, and I do think he sees that deeper uh, uh, love between the two of them. You know, he is gonna. We'll, we'll see. He's going to marry her, but he is going to redeem them. You know, it's a package deal on that end. Um, okay, we're about to stop, and this is going to be a great place. Because in verse 11 of chapter 3, Boaz assures Ruth that he's going to pr- pursue what she's asked, and stating further that she's essentially, based on her reputation in the city, right, that she's worthy of redeeming because of her excellent reputation. So we need to hit the pause button. We need to hit the pause button because worthy of redemption, does that sound right? Does that sound right? You know, Jeff, you and Heather hit on this last week and I didn't say anything at that time. You said, when I said that uh, Boaz, uh, one of the things that attracted him to Ruth was her external beauty, and you, you kind of had a problem with that. And I heard you say, hey, yeah, but that's not us. Right, we're not beautiful. What's up? So what we have here is a great rabbit trail <laughs> that I'm not even going to start right now 
but we'll pick it up next week and look at that because there's, there's something I'd like us to see in there. Okay? All right. Let's, let's close. Uh, Porter, will you close us in prayer, sir?